0: Hello, welcome back to Why Did Peter Sink? This is part eight of a long-running series called Why I Am Catholic. It's called The Perfect Family is the subtitle of this episode. And we have a few more to go in this series. You know that I can't just write a one-part episode. It has to have eight or ten. So let's get started. You do not end up in the Catholic Church by accident. Even for cradle Catholic who strays, if you grew up being Catholic, A full return cannot happen without a deep search. For most people that convert or revert, it's a long, long story. It's a battle. The truth is, we resist the church. We struggle with it. But many end up in the Catholic Church because they wrestle with the faith and with reason for a long time before having the moment that they understood why Jesus started this church. They suddenly stop hating the Pope, as they were often instructed to do, and submit to that authority. We dislike authority. That is our nature. That is the story in the Garden of Eden. It is often the story of our lives. And coming to love God and his church means letting go of our preconceived notions and cultural teachings about power. The idea of being required to go to confession and attend Mass weekly because skipping Mass on Sunday is a mortal sin. That seems ridiculous to non-Catholics, but the reason for it is solid. This is a pattern for living. Furthermore, partaking in the sacraments does what they actually claim they do. That's why the sacraments are sacred. They make the invisible visible, and this is a mystery, but a glorious mystery if you can move from doubt into assent. And not everyone can do this. For some, it seems to come naturally. But for some, it takes years. And for some, they can never fully give up the love of self and take the leap of faith and know that the Eucharist is indeed the body and blood of the risen Jesus. God bestows this gift of faith on those he chooses and who cooperate with his grace. Everyone is offered grace, but many simply refuse to cooperate. They reject it. We are all given time and multiple opportunities in our life here on earth to react to this offering, to reject it or surrender to it. This is the centerpiece of our free will, this choice to cooperate or refuse grace. So for anyone that seems to lack access to that grace or rejects it, it is our duty to pray for them, And you can do that in many ways, from short prayers to nine-day or 54-day rosary novenas for your most beloved, unbelieving friends. Chances are it will probably just irritate them if you tell them you're doing that. So you don't even have to tell them. You can pray for someone without them knowing. But praying for others is important. Praying for your enemies is as important as praying for your friends. That's what the act of love really is, is praying for those who... Don't love you. Prayers matter, and they work. I've watched people change through prayer that goes beyond explanation. Um, Thousands of hours of therapy have failed, and suddenly a healthy prayer life heals. Yes, it's bizarre. I don't know what to make of it sometimes, other than it's amazing. Oddly enough, knowing God is like knowing any other person. The infinite and unexplainable, ungraspable creator must be known just like your next-door neighbor, through conversation, visits, shared experience, the journey of life, and shared meals. It's very important that God be invited to meals. And that is what the Eucharist at Catholic Mass is, a Thanksgiving meal where God and his family come together. We get to have Thanksgiving every week in the church, or even every day if you live somewhere that daily Mass is offered. Through the years, a relationship develops but only if you develop it. No relationship in the history of mankind has flourished by two people ignoring one another. No relationship can be made with mere thoughts either because we are both body and soul. Hence, sacraments. Hence, the spiritual and corporate works of mercy. Hence, prayer. Prayer is essential. Uh, Just as conversations and phone calls and get-togethers work with real people. Action also is essential, as faith without works is dead. Catholicism is a get-off-the-couch religion if you're doing it correctly. This relationship with God, it cannot be explained fully. It's another mystery, like the Trinity. We can never fully understand it. And rather than frustrate us with uncertainty, it is a great letting go of the need to control of the ego of the self. And while this drives modern people crazy, Resting in that mystery can unmodern your misshapen plastic brain all by itself. This requires the step where you go into the unknown, the uncertain, the unGoogle. Call it mysticism if you like. Whatever it is, it's better than that THC or fentanyl everyone is so excited about these days. Kneeling and asking for the willingness to be willing can change everything. It's also free and legal. Even simply saying, God, please help me, give me strength and direction today. That alone has altered people's entire lives. That was the first prayer I said on my road back to building the relationship with God. And I hope and pray that you, dear listener, will ask, seek, and knock on that door to find out yourself, because it will change your life beyond any experience that this world can give you. What you know today may change into a new kind of knowing, especially if you've been ignoring the one relationship that can restore you to health and make you whole. In short, I was disenchanted from all things supernatural, uh, like that priest hunter I was talking about in the last episode in the Graham Greene novel, The Power and the Glory. If there wasn't a rational explanation for something, then I decided it was absurd. Praying for people? My response to that was, why don't you send money for therapy um, since prayer is just talking to an imaginary friend? Or belief in angels? Give me a break. Or devils? Sure, sure, if they were just people with pitchforks dressed up in Halloween costumes. No, reenchantment doesn't mean jumping into the deep end of the pool and booking a vacation to where a Marian apparition occurred. It all starts with one prayer a simple reach. To a power outside of yourself as saint therese of Lisieux said prayer is a surge of, a, of the heart toward heaven uh, you may be even you may even begin with a generic spirit of the universe and later get to god himself the creator to jesus the word and the holy spirit the breath of life i had to jump my dead heart with the idea of an absurd streetlight god which i wrote about in another episode that i linked to here Hopefully, most people don't have to go that far downward, but it does work. Whatever door you need to walk through to get back to God, walk through it. If you can, just pick one person of the Holy Trinity to start with, but try all three. Some people connect with one element of the Trinity better than others. That would be the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit. You can try each of them and see uh, which one works the best. I mean, you've probably tried every flavor of ice cream, so what have you got to lose? You've probably gone through the Kama Sutra, trying sexual positions, but that didn't satisfy you any more than eating Snickers bars satisfies, as the advertisements claim. There's something better to try. This time and in the future, try a new position called kneeling. That's a pretty radical idea today. That is kneeling before God. It does wonders. And surely on a sleepless night, you can take five minutes to start a new relationship that isn't centered around your phone. You are not a moth, so stop acting like one. Stop buzzing around bright lights and screens as if that's all you were made to do. If you're like most people today, you are mesmerized by the dancing light of a screen. After all, entertainment is not your end goal in life. It is not the purpose. It is a distraction from your fears of, of fears of death, of rejection, abandonment, and shame. All of those fears come from a lack of relationship with God. You'll sleep better once you start dialing up God in the middle of the night because he's always there and he doesn't need sleep. The thing is, once the relationship begins, you learn that you are never alone. You are never rejected. You are never abandoned. You have a perfect family that you've been neglecting. Sure, your earthly family has flaws. It isn't perfect They make mistakes. That's because they are compromised human beings. They are compromised, but not broken. All of us were ejected from the garden for our own good so that we would not remain in a permanently fallen state like the angels that fall. The devil and the other angels have no way to return, but we do. That's why we're here. The family that you have here is the earthly family that has been given to you to love. And that is the trial and test for many, of course. And as soon as you start seeing those people as redeemable, compromised creatures that God loves, they look different. But even if those people are not around, you are never alone. And here's why you are never alone because God is always present and available. If he does not feel present to you, then he is letting you walk just as a toddler who is learning to walk is allowed to fall down. He wants you to walk and carry the cross. But he has not abandoned you ever, just as a loving parent doesn't let their toddler destroy his or herself. The parent will pick him or her up when the time is right. And God is doing that in your life in different ways. If your earthly father is controlling, you may have a problem with the idea of a heavenly father at all. Thus, kneeling may seem too much to give up, a bridge too far, since submission makes your blood boil. But the father in heaven isn't like your earthly father. He doesn't coerce, he doesn't force, he invites you. Now on the flip side, if your earthly father was a deadbeat dad who abandoned you, was never around, you may not like the idea of forgiving a father or even associating with him. But again, this father, this father, your heavenly father, has never and will never abandon you. Only you can abandon this father. The father that we all want is this kind. He is the father who runs out to meet the prodigal son. He's the father that weeps when his children disobey, but allows them chance after chance to come back. He is the father that never leaves you, but also won't coddle you because he wants you to grow. Don't confuse your earthly father with the father in heaven. So you have a loving father, but you also have a brother. If you are baptized and believe, or if you ask for belief, you have a brother in Jesus. Baptism is important, by the way. He will pray with you. He will be beside you in prayer, if you ask. Like the St. Patrick prayer, he will be in you, around you, above you, below you. If you want to hear a list of prepositions, read the St. Patrick prayer. It'd be a great instructional thing for school. Further yet, you can put on the mind of Christ and let his thoughts become yours. And if that seems impossible, open the gospel, the gospel and see his words and life. Or do what's called Lectio Divina, divine reading, uh, using something like the hallow app, if you don't like to read. So now you have a loving father and a loving brother who also happens to be the savior, both who are perfect, who can help you fight the spiritual fight, and they will show you how to live. One will father you and one will guide you. You have navigation from headquarters and boots on the ground here to walk with you, but there's more. What family is complete without a mother? The beauty of Catholic complementarity is that we don't have to pretend men and women are the same. Sometimes we need a mother and sometimes we need a father, but we need both. And we are whole when we have a relationship with both. We know that men and women are not the same, despite what the modern media sells us. Sanity is sometimes as simple as stating the obvious. The genius of femininity is that it is not male. It is something different and wonderful. The blessed mother, Mary, is your mother. You have a perfect mother and she will pray with you anytime, anywhere. And her prayers go straight to the top as no one intercedes ahead of Mary. From the cross, Jesus looked down and said to Mary, there is your son, referring to the apostle John who stood with her to John. He said, there is your mother. The church has always held that Jesus, right then and there, from the cross, invited all faithful into the Holy Family. And if we are brothers with Christ, then God is our father and Mary is our mother. There's more. There is another earthly stepfather for you other than your biological one, and his name is Joseph. His moniker is the terror of demons because of how he protected Mary and Jesus, taking action when the dreams and warnings appeared. People often consecrate themselves to Mary and or Joseph. Why? Because they love their family and want to grow closer to them. Here's a quote from Consecration to St. Joseph. What does it mean for a person to be consecrated to St. Joseph? Well, it basically means that you acknowledge that he is your spiritual father and you want to be like him. Total consecration to St. Joseph means you make a formal act of filial entrustment to your spiritual father so that he can take care of your spiritual well-being and lead you to God. The person who consecrates himself to St. Joseph wants to be as close to their spiritual father as possible to the point of resembling him in virtue and holiness. St. Joseph, in turn, will give you those consecrated to him, his undivided attention, protection, and guidance. And lastly, the saints, can't forget about the saints. We have the saints, a whole larger extended family who can intercede and pray with us. I ask for St. Peter and St. Anthony of Egypt to pray with me uh, as well as St. Dymphna, uh, St. Mary Magdalene. Um, it's a co-ed team of prayer every day. And there are thousands of saints to ask for intercession and even the angels like Gabriel, St. Michael, uh, angels we have come to know through sacred scripture. When navigating this world, sometimes you need a father to guide you. Sometimes you need a mother to help you. Sometimes you need your brother to fight off a dragon. And still, sometimes you just need to be still with the Holy Spirit, that unexplainable breath of life. The simple prayer of come Holy Spirit opens us up to God's grace. No matter what you need, you need to be open to your heavenly family, because that is your perfect family, your family without wounds, without any identity lies. Knowing and building a relationship with that family will help you grow in relationship with your earthly family. You are never alone. When I heard someone say that in the past, I assumed they were schizo. They were slightly nuts. But today I know exactly what they mean. And this is because I've been re-enchanted. Re-enchanted, the invisible spiritual world is now as real and palpable as a rock that gets in my shoe. If you come to believe in Jesus, then you come to know. And one thing that comes along with it is the awareness of your own sin. But rather than being a horrible thing, it can be a very liberating thing. I like to say you can't get found unless you were once lost. Um, It's an entirely new kind of freedom to be found, but not a freedom that to do what you want. It's a freedom to follow God, to obey him as best you can. And oddly enough, you want to do it. You want to obey. It's not forced. It's never forced. That is one of the miraculously weird things that happens once you know you are a sinner and come to love and know God. Sooner or later, you come to know that angels and demons are also as real as that rock in the shoe. Once that happened, I began to see how and why the world and individual people behave as they do. And the faith of an atheist doesn't allow for miracles or spiritual lives or souls or partaking of the divine nature. It's very flat. The faith of an atheist really only offers half of life and it offers nothing that I want to take back because I have discarded my antidepressants and I haven't drank in almost seven years. Um, I don't look at dirty websites. I have zero desire for any of that because I realize that people have souls and are not objects. I can pray for my enemies and enemies of the church. Daily I meet with Whole people of the faith in, in flesh that astonish me in their own miraculous underdog comebacks. I start and end my day with prayer and gratitude to God. What more could I possibly want? If you're an atheist, you may have just scoffed there, and that's okay. If you're a Protestant, I probably lost you way back at my faith alone um, complaints. To both. I'm sorry, but this is my blog site, and this is my body and soul story. There are many things I do admire about Protestants, but I believe that Christ's body is in the, wor- the world that that is the Catholic Church. As for atheists, I believe they are on a search. They're still on the search looking. But if they keep looking long enough, they will find that prayer is what they're really looking for. The strangeness of it all is this. The strangeness of it all is this. It all fits together, all of it. Somehow, some way, the bizarre storytelling and miracles and the parables and the Marian dogmas and, and apparitions and the relics and the sacraments, they all bake into something perfect and unendingly satisfying. A bread that never stops feeding you. That is, I believe, what Jesus meant when he said, I am the bread of life. Hence the Eucharist at Mass is food for the body and the soul. It is food for the faithful. It is a meal with God himself. It is a gift that goes both ways. The tie that binds is Jesus. He told us to love God and love others. And he said, let's all get together and eat my body and do this in memory of me. Yeah, it's strange. I'll give you that. It's strange, but it works. I recall reciting the Nicene Creed as a teenager and skipping certain elements or lines, mostly the lines that required supernatural belief, which means a large portion of it. And as the years went on, when I had to attend a funeral or wedding, I started to notice that certain elements had become less difficult to accept. Uh, As a rudderless life had tossed me about so much that I reached a state of openness uh, or beaten into a state of reasonableness is one way of saying it. Through the use of alcohol, I had moored my ship on many rocks, on islands of ideologies and empty pursuits. Of course, this process of getting to shore meant getting both the rudder and the sail working together not against one another. So let me switch metaphors here. I'm going to move over to G.K. Chesterton's lock and key example from his book, Orthodoxy, which is a classic uh, book on a a conversion story, really, part of it. Uh, For me, it was not that one single grand moment made all the difference, but many small moments that carved away untruths and honed edges down. I could not open the door using the key I had. I could not open the door to faith because the key had just hadn't been fully prepared yet. At first, the key was just like a cylinder piece of steel that did not fit the keyhole at all. But over 20 years with many books and life experience, uh, the grinding of the search shaped this key until one day I tried the key again and I felt the thunk of the lock as it sunk into the center. This is a quote from Chesterton's Orthodoxy. A stick might fit a hole or a stone or a hollow by accident but a key and a lock are both complex and if a key fits a lock you know it's the right key perhaps you know the feeling when the key fits you think it's the right key but if you haven't yet turned the deadbolt you're still not certain i had that feeling before but the key wouldn't turn you know i put the key and it goes all the way down but i can't turn it it seemed to have the fit yet i still couldn't open the door So with modern versions of stoicism and Epicureanism and humanism, I'd felt I'd had the key before, but none of those could turn the bolt. But then this time when I twisted, the bolt moved. Once I invited the supernatural back into the picture, I could turn the deadbolt. Then I had to decide, did I really want to open the door? Because I knew that opening the door meant the change of everything in my entire life. And this is what Catholics call cooperating with grace. This is the free will moment. Because even if the key has been given and the door is unlocked, let's say you've turned the deadbolt, you still have to pull the handle and open that door. The mystery of why God gives us trials and temptations in life is clear to me now. The key we need to unlock the door needs to be shaped. And God shapes that key using our struggles. Of course, I had to open the door after all, I'd spent a long time looking for that key and having it shaped. So what other choice did I have? How could I go back to the prior attempts that left me locked out and wondering what was behind that door? None of those attempts had made me happy. I wasn't, I wasn't content standing outside on the other side. I wanted to open that door. Now, if you have been given the key, you may think there's no choice but to but to use, to to do so. But God does not coerce or force us to do anything. He wants us to open the door voluntarily, but he doesn't fling it open for us. He just gives us the key. He shapes it over our life and gives us the key. And then opening the door, opening the door when you do that motion, finally, the treasure is there. The one that makes sense of all the struggle and all the search. This is the key we were all looking for. If you haven't gotten your key fully shaped yet, you still might given more time and experience. But you have to come back to the door now and then and test the key because that is the game that God is playing with us, if you want to call it that. He's doing something in your life, but you may not understand it until much later. But you have to keep going. So that is my take on coming to faith. As Jesus said, we are only drawn to God if God draws us. Now, this is confusing, but if you feel drawn, you should set down your busy life and try that key today. And you do that through prayer. Free will is a powerful thing because God beckons us, but we have to take action. If the beckoning happens, then you are likely being called. If you ignore the beckoning, you may miss the opportunity. There's a say, a quote in John chapter 6, verse 44. Jesus says, no one can come to me unless drawn by the father who sent me. And I will raise that person up on the last day. Now, for the next episode. Most people today have a real beef with the Catholic Church, so let me take some time to comment on that. Uh, Many people seem to have this in common, and oddly enough, especially Catholics themselves. So we'll dive into that in the next episode. Thanks for listening, everyone. Be back soon with another episode.